0: As we get started this morning, I'm going to need a volunteer for a little social experiment. Um, no, no. Um, so, oh, Scott, you'll do just fine. Thank, thank you for volunteering. Come, come on up. Just, just real quick. Good, good. That's good. Now, what, what we're going to do here, Scott and I, we're going to do a little social experiment. Now, all you have to do is just just kind of stand there and, and look handsome. Well done, Lynetta. Does um, she set your clothes out on Sunday? Mitzi does. Okay, good. Now, we're going to do a little social experiment here. And and what we're going to do is I'm going to start right here. and We're going to have a little conversation, a little chit-chat. And, and I'm going to get a little closer as we talk. And I'm going to get a little closer. And at some point, you're going to go, whoa. Okay? I brushed my teeth. I had a little butterscotch mint. We're good to go, but just you let me know when it gets a little uncomfortable. I may or may not stop if you you know. So you ready? All right, here we go. Hey, Scott, how's it going? Good, John. Good. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Hey, uh, do you see that big game?
1: <laughs>
0: Ooh. I got a live one here, folks. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah, how, how about them Cowboys, huh? Well, it's the Braves. They the lost Bra- the game. Oh Oh, no, nobody likes baseball. It's okay. Yeah, baseball's, you know. baseball's my national Base, Baseball's almost over, though. I can see the pores in your skin right <laughs> now. Is that... Are we too close yet? That's a little too close. Is that a little... Yeah, are you I'm, uncomfortable? That's all right. I love you like a brother. I'm almost <laughs> uncomfortable, and I'm, I'm a huggy guy. So, do, Thank you for, for being my pick. Wait, you're not done yet, though. Will you um, do me a favor? Take that right up there and wait for me. I'll be right there. I gotta go up the back. I need the extra handrail. Don't go anywhere. Don't sneak off. Oh, look at you. Thank you. Hey, hey, not yet. Not yet. not yet. Um, now, uh, let's see. Walk away. Okay, there we go. Y- y'all may or may not be familiar with the TV show Seinfeld. They just run reruns now. It's not new. But they do this episode about the close talker. And the, the great thing about a close talker is, well, well first off, let me ask you this. H- how was that?
1: A little
0: weird. A little weird, okay. It was just a little weird because you know me. If, if we were complete strangers and I was moving right in for the, for the conversation kill, yeah, all right, this is good stuff. A professional close talker can push you right out of your comfort zone. I mean, you just like, whoa, hey, uh, that's too much, too soon, back up. I want you to remember that as we talk about Philippians 4 today. You see, Philippians 4, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand actually means the Lord is near. If the Lord is near, then it should be easy for us to have a selfless attitude. Okay? And, and when I say the Lord is near, what I want you to picture is like close talker near. Even, <laughs> even closer than close talker near. When the Lord is near, He's, he's near. Okay? He's, he's in. He's all in, near, more so than close talker. And you will never think about close talkers the same way after today. But when I say the Lord is near, that's what I want you to picture. He, he is just in and all around us, and the rest of the chapter, chapter 4 of Philippians, is wrapped up in this thought. Actually, it's packed with powerful teaching on how to live in the nearness of God. <laughs> I hope you guys will read through it this week, because I'm really just going to be able to hit some highlights but I really want you to think about this. As a matter of fact, this is a good chapter to pray through. We've been putting those, uh, those clips on the e-announcements and in the bulletin where you can log on to the website and actually pray through a portion of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4 would be a really good one for you to just pray through this week. Scott, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Big hand for our victim, our volunteer. Uh, on that note of praying through chapter 4 in Philippians, will you pray with me now? Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to, to see how your word can come alive. When, when we read that you are near, that, that we'll be able to picture that nearness, that closeness, that indwelling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray that we won't only picture it, but that we will, we will live it. That, that we will leave here differently than how we came. O, open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to what you would have us do with what we uncover in your word today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Now, if, if we're going to claim this, this scripture, if we're going to claim this statement that we've put out all month, to live as Christ, to die as gain, if we're going to claim that, then we need to get used to what it's like living in the nearness of God. And, and see, what you need to know about that is, the longer we are close to him, the more we become comfortable in his presence. See, if, if you're doing things that keep you separated from God, when, he come, when you're in his presence, you're going to be uncomfortable. Some of you might be a little uncomfortable right now because of where you were last night or what you were doing yesterday or, or what you were saying on your way in. Because I'm talking about the nearness of God and He is here. And you may be going, oh, I wasn't expecting that at church today, which I don't know why. but the, <laughs> It may take some time to become comfortable in the presence of God. It's going to take discipline to become comfortable in the presence of God because in order to get into this closeness with God, you're going to have to leave some things behind. Because there are just certain things you can't bring in to God's presence and think that they're going to stick around. This may make you feel awkward. It may make you feel uncomfortable. But the fact is, it's time that we welcome the reality of God's presence in our lives, Christians. Knowing that He is near, it should bring peace to us when we're anxious. It should bring, uh, it should give us joy. Knowing that God is near, it should move us towards gentleness and thanksgiving. And it should move us towards things like generosity. Knowing that God is at hand, it should affect our thought life. Not, not just the things we say, it should affect the things we think. Knowing that God is near allows us to be content no matter what the circumstances are. Folks, the Lord is near and He desires intimacy with us. Much closer than just close talking. The Lord is near. He wants that relationship with Him. And that should impact our everyday life. It should impact us inwardly and outwardly. Outwardly in how we live, God is at hand. In that case, it's time for us to put this Christian life into practice. And because God is near, there are some things we can do. I actually found nine things from Philippians chapter four that we can do, and I'm only going to talk for like 25 minutes on each one. So, buckle up; it's going to be a ride. Uh, not really, but but there are some things we can do. And the first thing we can do because God is near is we can stand firm. Philippians four one says this: Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved, stand firm. Thus in the Lord. Paul starts off, and remember, this is a letter to the church at Philippi, and he starts off what is what is essentially the ending of his letter. He starts off with an encouragement to the church at Philippi to stand firm. The Lord is at hand. If you believe this, if you believe the Lord is near, then you can stand firm. With God's strength, you can stand firm in the face of temptation. Whatever your temptation is, if the Lord is near, you can stand firm against that temptation. You can stand firm in the face of opposition. Not everybody is going to like you, and that's okay. You can stand firm in the face of opposition. If God is at hand like He says He is, you can stand firm in the face of tragedy and loss. You can stand firm in the, in when, you, when there's doubt and fear. You can stand firm in the face of abandonment because God is near. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Those of you who who know me, you know I'm I'm a fan of what Scripture doesn't say sometimes because I think sometimes silence speaks just as loudly as the words that are written. But here's what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say to the Philippian church, the Lord is near. Go out and fight in the face of temptation. The Lord is near. Fight Fight in opposition or, or fight through tragedy or, or fight through doubt or fear or abandonment. He doesn't say that. He says, just stand firm. You know why he says that? Because he's lived these things. Paul's not somebody who's just, who's just writing out some words of comfort. He knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He can give this advice to stand firm because he knows that when we stand firm, God is fighting for us. We don't have to fight. Sometimes we just have to be still and know that He is God. And He knows, Paul knows, the battle's already been won. We can stand firm because God is at hand. He's there to comfort us. He's there to accompany us when we're lonely, when we're abandoned. We can stand firm because we know that this life is temporary. The next life is eternal. And because God is near, we can stand firm. That's the first thing we can do. The second thing... When God is near, we can stand firm, we can overcome disagreements. And some of you already are going, "Huh, uh <laughs> because I'm still right and they're still wrong. And until they decide to agree with me, we can't overcome that. But I'm here to tell you, if God is near, we can overcome disagreements. Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. Paul writes, I entreat, Yodia, I don't know why you would name a woman that. And I entreat, Sinta, to, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Listen, he's saying to the church of Philippi, help these women. They've labored side by side. These are saints. And I don't mean like, oh, little wings and halo saints. These are, these are good Christian people that have labored alongside Paul and in sharing the gospel message but obviously something's come up, and they're having a disagreement. And, and Paul has two parts to this. And the first one he says, he says, first off, those, those who are in disagreement, stop arguing. Ladies, not you ladies, the ladies in the church at Philippi, because you ladies would never argue. But he's saying, ladies, stop arguing. He's not even there to really know what the argument is. He may not know the whole story. He may just be on a one-dimensional plane where he heard that, that they were having a disagreement. But it was on his heart to tell him, "Ladies, stop!" And to so the rest of you, the rest of you, the, those of you around them, help them. Says different than what what our own ego says. Our own our own ego says when somebody's having a disagreement, you take a side, and you I gotta back them up because that's my boy. You can't talk to him that way. No, Paul says, step in, help stop the disagreement. That's. That's one of the things elders get to do. That's the fun part about being an elder. You get to step in and and help stop disagreement. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But it's what Paul's saying here. Folks, we have the ability to waste so much time arguing and disagreeing about stupid things, things that don't even really matter. Not in this life anyways. And the good news here is, is that because God is at hand, we can overcome disagreements. Now, it takes some work. In order to overcome a disagreement, we have to sit down face to face. And you have to tell me that you don't like my purple shirt, but then I can say it's okay because my wife does. (laughs) Right there, the conversation pretty much ends because anybody that's married knows if she likes that shirt, I'm going to wear it. Simple illustration, but you get the point. You see, we have the ability to just waste time but the reality is we can overcome disagreements when we're walking in the presence of God. And when God is near us, we actually um, we're able to, to grow and change our character in the areas of patience and love and maturity. And we will begin to see areas of disagreement through God's eyes. We'll recognize that most of the areas of disagreement are just distractions from the enemy. Because Satan knows when we're distracted arguing about the color of my shirt... The work of the gospel is not getting done. That's what Satan likes. We can stand firm in the Lord, because we, and when we do that, we can overcome the petty disagreements. And when we do that, that's the second thing, is to to overcome disagreements. And then the next thing is, we can rejoice. Okay, we can rejoice. Verse 4, Paul says, comes right out of stop arguing, and goes right into rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Folks, Christians are known, uh, are, are known, or I should say they are not known as joyful people in, in reality. Our world, um, to be honest with you, sees, sees Christians kind of from, from a more negative concept. And, and to be honest with you, from this point of view, on most Sundays, some of you look a lot more like this. <laughs> this from this point, this is what I see. On a lot of Sundays, you aren't quite as furry and not quite as cute, but <laughs> I see this on Sundays when I, I am sharing with you the word of the Lord. We, we are worshiping, we are singing, we are praising God. I see this. When I look around, it scares me to see that here because the reality is sometimes we, we come in and, and, and rather than worship like people who are forgiven of their debt of sin we come in and we just sit here with a scowl on our faces. And it hurts. And here's the reality. <laughs> Sunday mornings for forgiven people, they should be more like an intense celebration of Jesus, not a funeral service for Him. Amen. Communion time is a time to remember, but it's a celebration. And then I get that we want to have order, and, and, and you know we're not going to release balloons and have juggling clowns and stuff, but... Sunday morning is a time to celebrate what we've been given which is a freedom that we will never be able to obtain by ourselves you, you may say to me you know what Fat Rock you don't know what kind of week I've had you don't know what my, my week's been like it's been hard I, I've had people not like me I've, I've, had, I've had loss and I say to you you don't know what my week has been like and that's all the more reason when I come here I rejoice I repent I repent I remember that Jesus died for me, and that's why I must rejoice when I come here. Not only that, but rejoicing is important. It's important enough that Paul repeats it twice just in this verse. In fact, he uses the word rejoice in this letter to the church in Philippi 16 times in total, in various forms. It's a short letter. He tells them 16 different times he talks about rejoice. What brings you joy? If you think you have nothing that, that brings you joy in your life, if, if you think your life is, is to the point of misery, I want to tell you, if nothing else is good in your life, God is near. And for that one reason, I say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Folks, we can, we can stand firm, and we can overcome disagreements. We can rejoice, and we can be gentle. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be reasonable, gentle with one another. Very simply put, being reasonable, treating other people with gentleness, it commands respect. And that's something that in America, even as Christians in America, I think we have a lack of respect for one another and for others. And when Paul says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand, he's saying, Be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to everyone because God is near. And if God is near, think of how gentle he is with you. Yes, even when you let him down, he's gentle in his discipline. We need to be that way with others. Being gentle commands respect. Remember this, when you're abrasive, you are seldom persuasive. Simple manners will help you with this one. Remember Philippians 2, 3, In humility consider others better than yourselves. Be gentle with one another. The Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, we can have peace. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7, And the peace of God will surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying very, very essentially, very... Uh, Poignantly, if you will, dump your worries and fears and pray. Lean on God. After all, He is near. Seek His wisdom when worries come your way. Seek His wisdom. And and, and when you're able to leave your anxieties with God, He will give you peace. He will give you peace. Listen, again, Paul's the perfect guy to be telling us about this stuff because... He, he practices what he preaches. He's in jail. He's, in, he's been under arrest. He's writing this letter from prison, but it doesn't sound like the writing of a man who is distressed or, or worried or anxious about his life. And I'm not talking about prison like we have today, where there's TVs and comfort and, and rights and all this stuff, where it's almost a nice place to go and visit for a while and get yourself back on your feet. This is, this is rough prison here. The food's not good, the beds aren't comfortable. The guards don't care about you. And here's Paul saying, don't be worried or anxious, because I'm not. I've got peace. When when we allow God to be near in our life, we won't need to be anxious, because we can actually change our way of thinking. We can transform our thinking. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Notice Paul's checklist here. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Man. I want you to consider the things that fill your thought life. I want you to consider the things that are the actions you go through each day. Just in the past week, consider those things. Do they measure up? Do they measure up with with even one of these things? Do they measure up with two or three or, or any of them at all? Noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Wow, it's getting uncomfortable in here. Folks, when we stray in our thinking from these things, we are essentially straying from God because he's right here with us. And we can align our mind with His. If we're in His Word, if we're in communication with God daily, we can know the mind of God. And when we know the mind of God, we can show concern for others. That's another one in my list of nine. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And then we're going to skip to verse 14. Verse 14 says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. We're going to catch those other ones here in just a second. Maybe a good way of understanding the whole showing concern for others is if we just called it compassion. Jesus was constantly showing compassion for others, no matter what the situation. Uh, Let me tell you this. It's not always easy to show compassion to people. It it actually takes work. And compassion uh, compassion for people, it's a risky thing. I'm going to tell you up front, when you show compassion to someone, they may not even appreciate it at the moment. But later, it will sink in. Folks, we need to open our eyes. This week, I want you to look around your life. Look, Look around the people that are in your life. You will find that God has put people near you that are screaming for someone to notice them and to show concern for them and to show compassion for them. And you may be the only picture of Jesus that that person sees. When we're open to seeing these people, knowing that God is near, He will either give us the strength to meet that need, or the wisdom to guide the person to the place or to someone who can meet that need. And we'll find that we can be content no matter what the situation. Being content—that's tough. We we live in a world where everybody wants what everybody else has. It's hard to find contentment. But verse eleven says. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Leave that one up for a second. These three verses are, are a good reminder of the fact that we can be content. I want to look at verse 13 because it's a very popular verse. Many people know it. Many people misuse it, mainly because we don't know what it means. You say, well, it's pretty simple. I can do all things through Christ who thinks me. That's what it means. Yeah. It's a bold statement. It's a good statement. It's one, unfortunately, that is often taken out of context and it's misused, especially in the realm of successful people in hollywood and athletes in, in conjunction with their faith here's what usually happens taken out of context we hear someone say due to a success uh, maybe on the basketball court or on the field or something or maybe they're accepting an award a, a grammy or an emmy or whatever it is they give out and, and and somebody is holding their award and they're just like thank you so much i love you uh i can do all things through christ who gives me strength it's not a bad message because you're a football player or a baseball player or maybe you've done something really grand in Hollywood. And and it's not. It's not a bad message. But it's not a proper interpretation of this verse either. And when you put it in context, this verse actually speaks about being content in all circumstances. Whether rich or poor, hungry or filled, sickness and in health, better or for worse. To those who are truly seeking God and growing in him, Putting him first in your life, your needs will be met. And anything else you receive through your pursuit of God and and, and life is like a bonus. Our contentment comes because we have a God who can meet all of our needs. We have a God who can fill every void. It's not just when we have success that we go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in the middle of your failure. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because you can be content in what the world may see as a failure. But God is reworking your life. Our contentment comes because we have a God who can meet all of our needs. And you know when we're content, we find that it's easy, it's easier to be generous. And and I'm not talking about how rich or poor you are. Let's look at God's provision. Verse 15. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 20 To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It, if you're someone who has, has maybe been trying to understand why, as a church, we collect an offering, uh, or how much you should give for an offering 10%, 20%, 50%, whatever. Before I get there, quick side note. I like to go out to eat, okay? Most of you like to go out to eat. And, and when you go out to eat, what, what is it customary that we do? Tip. We, we throw down a tip to our waiter or our waitresses, usually 20%, and we don't even bat an eye. Not, not even without, without a glance. And all they do is, is bring us food and fill our cup. Yet, when it comes to an offering to the Lord, we tend to get tight-fisted just to give Him 10%. I've talked with many people. Well, why do I have to give Him 10%? What? Well, you don't. You should actually give Him more, cheapskate. Um, <laughs> we get tight-fisted. Why, why should I give God 10%? I get it. Okay, God, God's not bringing us breadsticks and water. I understand. Why, why give Him 10%? Because He's the bread of life. When you drink from His well, we will never thirst again because our needs will be met. We honor our waiters and our waitresses sometimes more than we honor our God. We put more thought into how we're going to tip than we do when we write out our tithe check on a Sunday morning. Or decide in the middle of the week when we get our check what we're going to give to God. Because of the verses I've just read, because of who God is, we should give. Because of his love for us, we should give. And it's not just money. It's, it's your life. It's the way you live when you leave here. It's part of that giving back to God. Because of what he has given to us, we should give. Because of what he has done for us, we should give. And because God is near, we should give freely and joyfully. Folks, we can stand firm. We can overcome disagreements. We can rejoice. We can be gentle. We can have peace. We can even change our way of thinking. We can care for others and we can be content. We can be generous because God is near. And when we do all of these things, we will have a selfless attitude. Not because we follow an idea or... or because of what we stand to gain from it? Not because we follow a random religion, but because we strive to be disciples. Because we truly believe that to live is Christ. I
2: am a follower.
1: I am a disciple.
2: I do not follow a religion. I do not follow an idea. I don't follow a religion.
1: I follow no ordinary person.
2: I walk in the steps of one man. One man who wasn't afraid. He
1: spoke with truth and grace.
2: He stood up, took on sin face to face. There was no one else like him.
1: He made the heavens with his hands and with his breath.
2: He brought redemption with his death. He came to save the wayward world of sin. Father. Savior. My God. My friend. The blind see. The deaf hear.
1: The dead live with him.
2: He has every right but does not condemn He came to give freedom from darkness. A heart
1: to the heartless.
2: Love to the loveless. Courage that starts with
1: faith. In him who will never fail.
2: That's the one I follow. His name is Jesus.
1: His name is Jesus.
2: He called my name. He told me to take up my cross. To
1: go and tell the story.
2: To love and to serve. To speak it boldly. So I will
1: stand up for him.
2: Some may laugh, some will judge. My flesh may cry out, but I will not give in to selfish urge.
1: To live for someone that has stared death in the face, only to rise in victory from the grave.
2: He is for me. Who can ever stand against?
1: So with trembling hands, I will no longer sit on the fence.
2: Lip service is not enough. I will not just sit in a pew. I won't bite my tongue. But for him and through him, I will run. He has marked out a race, and from start to finish, I will seek his face.
1: I will live, and I will love, like Jesus, by the power, by the spirit that he gave.
0: Not because we follow a random religion, but because we strive to be disciples. Because we truly believe that to live is Christ. You know, the unique thing about the presence of God is that it's the greatest motivator we could ever have. Clearly, it was what motivated Paul in his life. What, What motivates you in your life? God is near. What does that mean for you? What will you change as a result of this knowledge? How will you respond? Are you ready to be a disciple? Are you ready to be a disciple? So far this month, we've said many times over, to live is Christ and to die as gain. And if that's true, if the Lord is at hand, if the Lord is near, I have two questions for you today. The first one is, do you believe that? The second one, if you believe what you've heard in God's Word today, the second question I have for you is, what are you prepared to do about it? What I want to share with you next, I think may help you answer that second question. It's a a vibrant declaration, and it it circulates among Christians. You'll find, you've probably seen it on websites. Typically, though, when you see it, The byline says, author unknown. But I didn't agree with that. Nothing can just happen. There's always an author. And so I started digging. And the story behind this statement makes it all the more potent. It was actually written by a veteran missionary named Luis Robinson Chapman. He was in Africa from 1920 to 1940. It's said that this statement was found among his papers in Zimbabwe after he was martyred for his Christian faith in the 1940s. It's, it's a moving testimony of not just a martyr, but of a man who understood what it meant to live life with a selfless attitude because he truly understood, understood what was being said in the book of Philippians when Paul told the Christians of Philippi to live as Christ, to die as gain. If you're still trying to figure out your answer, what are you going to do about it? What are you prepared to do on that second question? you're still trying to figure out that answer, this may help. Chapman wrote this, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. He wrote, My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, or first, or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on His presence. I walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear." I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adver- of the adversary. That one's hard. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. If you are believing what I'm saying, go ahead and stand with me as I finish this next statement. Because we're rolling into our response time. He says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until He comes. And when He does come for His own, He'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear to live as Christ. If you've been wondering what it means to be a Christian, your time of wondering is over. And your time of response is now. If your response is to be baptized for the forgiveness of of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to walk new with Christ as your Lord and Savior today, the baptistry is ready. Maybe for you to once again say to live as Christ and to die as gain, maybe you need to get some things off your back. Maybe you've got something you've been struggling with, Christian, and it's time to, to just lay it down. It's time to set down those struggles so you can stand firm again. Like I said earlier, our elders are here. They'd love to to pray with you for a moment of repentance. They'd love to, to talk with you about what it means to live with a selfless attitude for Jesus Christ. Be accountable with you again. Maybe you'd like to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church to be accountable to the work we do and the service that we offer to the community. Come and partner with us today. But whatever your response is, whether you come forward or not, I pray that you will respond like Paul, that you will make it a point to live your life with selfless attitude, because now you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Will you sing with us? It's been great to be with you all today and be here this morning, but now it's time to go. It's been great to challenge you with the understanding that because God is near, we can have a selfless attitude in Christ. We can stand firm. We can overcome disagreements. We can rejoice. We can be gentle. We can have peace. We can even change our way of thinking. We can be compassionate and content and generous. It's evident that the presence of God clearly motivated Paul in his life. What about you? Because God is near, what does that mean for you? As you go this week, go with the understanding that being near to the Father is everything. It should be our motivation. It should be our reason for living. It should be the reason that we can say as we go to live as Christ and to die as gain.